I was born on a Dublin street where the loyal drums did beat And those loving English feet, they walked all over us And every single night when me dad would come home tight He'd invite the neighbours out with this chorus Come out, you black and tans, come out and fight me like a man Show your wife how you won medals down in Flanders Tell her how the IRA made you run like hell away From the green and lovely lanes of Kilishandra Come let us hear you tell how you slandered great Parnell When you thought him well and truly persecuted Where are the sneers and jeers that you loudly let us hear when our Hello! Welcome to another episode of Lines Led by Donkeys. Joe, Nick. Nick. Yes. And we are still in this room talking about the Irish Rising. Of 1916, and unlike most of our other series, we're doing this back to back, so we're still here. We're still drinking. I hope you're ready. Shit's about to get weird. Is it? Eh, weirder. People start to get shot. People got shot last time. People did get shot last time. Yeah. So more people get shot. Oh, way more people. Oh fuck! Thank so- God, Superman's here. <laughs> A cardboard cutout. I- I'm actually going to. Um- expand so when you're gone if i have like a guy on i'll put superman i have a girl on i'll put i don't know fucking super girl <laughs> on i don't know like i so you know i have, I have a a host he cardboard cut out of like looks uh, good over there he's looking all right i don't know he's a fucking lazy piece of shit last time he was on he never even said anything yeah weak nick <laughs> so when we left you last week the third Irish Home Rule Bill passed. The Irish Parliament and the United Kingdom found themselves in the middle of the Great War. The wolves came out of the den. But fuck the Great War. The Irish can finally rule themselves, right? They got home rule, right? Yeah, that's it. End of the episode. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. Of fucking course they didn't. Nothing ever goes our way. No, and you know what? It, things are just so much worse when the British and the Irish are involved. Like... This could not get any dumber. And the British are like, <clears throat> allow me, good sir. Yeah, it can. They, they affix two monocles, not glasses, two monocles. And then they quickly get around to fucking shit up. Nice. Monopoly, man. So at the same time, all this is happening. British Prime Minister H.H. Asquith sent a bill to the king for what is known as the Royal Ascent. That's a good name to start off with, Asquith. All right. right. Let's so, keep going. Um. Think of a royal ascent as just like a, he says, sign it. Okay. Because at this point, the king's not actually supposed to be in charge. But because of old timey stupid rules, he still has to sign a bill. Okay. Um, he struck a deal with the Tories in Parliament. Um, Fuck, you went over Tories last episode. Yep. Conservatives. Okay. Yeah. Don't cool. worry. You should probably forget this because British politics are dumb. Okay. Uh, but will do. But. I feel like British politics is the only politics on earth that make ours seem almost normal, but also really dumb. Theirs is really confusing to me. Yeah, it's all fucking stupid. Okay. I'm just ready for the heat death of the universe. Let the lizard people come rule us. Yes. They're going to come out of Rainier. Yeah. I hope so. At least they'll have IPAs. That's true. And <laughs> good weed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the conservatives 
in Parliament struck a deal with Asquith. Um, so they could send another bill uh, so they could just focus on the fucking war. Because everybody knew that home rule, something was going to happen. Like, somebody was going to get shot, something stupid was going to happen, and they now they have to, you know, fight the war to end all wars. They need to focus, they keep their eye on the prize. Unfortunately for the Irish, that bill was called the Sus- Suspensory Act of 1914. Now, there's another part of that bill that had to do with, like, disestablishment uh that like the welsh church which isn't important to our story um but you know send love out to our welsh listeners yeah S- sorry um do we have any welsh listeners i don't know let us know no i'd I, like to know we have a surprisingly high number of danish fans what's up really? guys yeah really yeah i don't know how to say hello in danish but we hi. did have a danish character last episode i don't know character no person just, just denmark we just talked about Denmark for like five seconds. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm talking about the female, the Danish. Uh, can't remember her name. She's part of the Lord of the Houses. Fuck scones. God damn it. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you know what? Don't even edit that out. Leave that in. Fuck it. No, I don't, don't edit anything out. Why would a Danish person be in the British House of Lords? I'm not talking about a Danish person. I'm <laughs> talking about somebody with a Danish in their name. A scone- that has to do with... First a of all, scone. A, a scone is not a Danish, you goddamn monster. They're exactly, different. Exactly, which They're is different. why I had to correct myself. Yeah. And I said scone. Next thing you call it Baroness of Crawler, you fucking monster. Baroness of Crawler. <laughs> Those are now, good. Now I just need a whole good. parliament of donuts and pastries. First of all, I want to get one now. <laughs> Second of all, keep going. All right. I'm ready. So, the Spensatory Act of 1914 had only one section in it, and it read, quote, no steps will be taken to put the Government of Ireland Act into operation. Now, the Government of Ireland Act was home rule, as the the actual law was called. The king not only signed the Government of Ireland Act, but also signed the Suspensatory Act, meaning he both approved and then took away Irish home rule literally the same day. (laughs) What the fuck? He's like, oh, (laughs) fucking licks his quill. Congratulations. Sign? And also go fuck yourself. <laughs> yes. Which is like the most kingly move you can do. Um, if you think that this would cause a massive clusterfuck in Ireland, you would be surprisingly wrong. Did they not give a fuck? It's not that they didn't give a fuck. It's that, so I know you're kind of young. Yes. Uh, not back then, but like, say, like during, <laughs> during 9 11, you're kind of young. Yes. Um, uh, for the most part. On the outside, now the Americans are always awful and racist towards one another, but for the most part, American society all kind of came together, right? Like Because of Alan Jackson, he helped us out. Who the fuck is Alan Jackson? He came up with country songs and shit. Like, Which one was his? There's so many at the time. Oh, was he fuck, the one shit? One did song. we forget? Yeah. Have we Re- forgotten? <laughs> Remember when? <laughs> oh, God. They're all so bad. Um, but... That was kind of what World War I did to Ireland, kind of, sort of. Really? Yeah. Um, both the nationalists and the unionists supported the war effort. This went even for the militias. Um, commander of the Ulster Volunteer Force, Edward Carson, urged his men to enlist in the army and fight on, ma- on the mainland to prove their loyalty to England. Irish Volunteer Force was not nearly as united as their Ulster enemies. John Redmond who was an Irish politician and moderate member of the Irish Parliament Party, who kind of began to build some power within the IVF. Um, 
he brought a lot of people with him because like most relatively fringe organizations, when they start to moderate, they'll get a, a larger support base. Uh, he urged members of the IVF to enlist in the British Army. Not that he wanted to prove their loyalty to England because he really did think fighting Germany was in the best interest of Ireland. Um, because Mostly because he thought like, you know, you have the British Empire on one side that they're calling themselves the United Kingdom. And you have the German Empire on the other. Where the fuck does it leave Ireland? Tiny little Ireland in the middle of the fucking ocean. Like, we have, we have to fight for the ability for small countries to survive. That's what he thought. They would end up actually fighting in the trenches of the Western Front side by side with Ulster volunteers. And that's where the good news ends. Oh, um, what? Okay. This split put the Irish Republican Brotherhood firmly and effectively in control of what remained of the IVF, which is still 13,500 men. You made me feel good there for a second. I mean, there is kind of a good, I mean, <laughs> say, say what you will, the Kaiser fucking sucked. Yeah. Um, I mean, we got to go crush empires and shit, but then a whole bunch of bad stuff happened. Um, there is, you know, I really wish that if you just took England out of the equation and completely like, yes, these two completely different religions banded together and fought off the, uh, the German empire, the end, nothing bad happened ever again. There certainly wasn't civil wars and shit. Mm. Nothing ever happened again. Yeah. But unfortunately we live in the real world. Yes. It turns out that the Irish Republican brotherhood had not forgot the tactics of Wolf Tone. Yes, the IR- I, I've never, I haven't forgotten. I'll, I'll never forget Wolf Tone. So the IRB Supreme Council. Put your pants met, back on, please. Absolutely not. Uh, they met in September 1914 and decided they would act while the British Army was away fighting in the trenches. They would, however, need some help. Roger Casement uh, was one of the guys who helped smuggle weapons with the yacht. And also, side note, total fucking badass. Uh, Roger Casement was one of the people who helped expose um, King Leopold II of Belgium's uh, Congo Free State crimes. Yeah, like he literally... He literally... So he actually never went there. He just noticed, like, the only thing Belgium is sending out is guns. This dude's fucking awesome. Uh, Roger Casement's a bad motherfucker for being a journalist. Um, He's probably a double O. Oh, he's a bad motherfucker. Like, yeah, he's probably a double O. He's like a journalist who also definitely has a body count. <laughs> definitely a double O then. Uh, so he made contact he with... He fucks. With, oh, he, oh, Roger Casement fucks. Nice, just like Wolf. Oh, yeah. I fucking love this. Uh, he made contact with the Imperial German ambassador to the United States to start talking about German support for the uprising. Obviously, Germany did not give a fuck about Irish freedom. Okay. Um, that much doesn't really need to be said. They were a pawn. Um, they just wanted to fuck the British. The Germans actually did the attempted to do much of the same thing in India with much less success. Really? Yeah. Uh, what? Casement eventually got invited back to Germany, and by November, the Germans openly announced their support for an independent Ireland. But not they did it just because they obviously liked the British. Yeah, they just want to fuck. The, I mean, exactly. they're fighting okay. the British in the most devastating war in human history at that point. Right. I see where they're going. Yeah, but Casement was not done. By this point in the war, the first British armies at the front had already seen a lot of fighting, resulting in a lot of POWs being held by the Germans. Like, this is after the Battle of Frontiers, this is, you know, shit like that. Um, Casement saw no better place for a recruitment rally than a German POW camp. He separated the Irish prisoners away from everybody else and attempted to rally them together to form something of a free Irish brigade. It turns the out... The Irish got a lot of shit going on. 
Well, it turns out Casement finally found his limit of what he was good at because he only recruited about 56 dudes <laughs> out of thousands. <laughs> no, that's great. No, keep your hands up. I'm at 56. No, that's everybody. Do I see 57? Do I see 57? I'm pretty sure. Oh, 56? All right. Good enough. Casement and a few other IRB members planned out an entire fucking plan for the German invasion, uh, which was dubbed the Ireland Report. Uh, the plan depended on an Irish uprising in Dublin, diverting British soldiers away so the Kaiser's army could land on the west coast and march toward what? the River Shannon. The Germans were like, nah, nah, I'm good, bro. Let's give you guns. <laughs> okay. That's kind of weird. That story is fucking... <laughs> it's kind of weird. They, the, the Irish do a complete 180 on this later on, but the, 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 the rising definitely, the backbone of that was the Imperial German military. Um, That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Now, while... That's the- an imagination. Now, here's another interesting part. At the same time, all this is happening with the IRB. Remember the ICA? James Conley? Yes, I do. Conley wants a fucking uprising now. And Conley... smacks table. Fuck yeah. Now, remember, the IVF has about 13,000 dudes under their command. Conley has about 200. Fuck yeah, let's go. And Conley's like, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. And uh, Cops fighting in the background. <laughs> still punching themselves. And like, so... Uh, finally, Conley went to him and was like, look, I'm going to go fucking start some shit, which will put you in the position to be forced to do some shit, because the Brits are going to start shooting at all us. This dude's a fucking badass. Conley's a bad motherfucker. I fucking love him. So he was a socialist organizer, but at the same time, like his big com- his big thing for um, going back to Ireland, because, you know, socialism, international socialism, wasn't supposed to be a nationalist thing. Um, and when... Other socialists badmouthed him for it. And he simply said, well, they forget that I'm Irish. And then he went back to fighting. Uh, and nice. the, the IRB talked to Conley like, whoa, 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 slow down. Join us. We all do this together. Don't go off on your own. And Conley said, yeah, fuck it. All right, let's do this. Because Conley kind of saw them all as bougie pricks. Now, Conley had spent most of his life organizing labor unions, fighting strike breakers, Getting a literal fucking fist fight with the cops. This uh, why he should. Why isn't there a movie? About I don't this know. Guy? That's awesome. Um, he was a bad fucking guy, and he he kind of was never really involved the IRB up until that point because they, then they gave him a part in the military council. Um, but he still thought of them all as bougie pricks. <laughs> they're all like the yeah. They're all uh, most of them are former military officers, shit like that. Um. But the IRB thought conditions were not quite right for a rising, and they weren't entirely wrong. The everyday leadership of the IVF only supported the idea of a rising if the British tried to take their weapons or introduce conscription into Ireland, which they had not done yet. Um, People still supported the Great War. Even the chief of staff of the volunteers, Ewan McNeil, only supported the idea if the British took away home rule for good rather than just suspending it. One of the founding members of the IRB, um, Jeremiah O'Donovan Rasa, died while living in exile in the U.S. His body was sent home to Ireland, uh, and a man named Patrick Pierce, or Pierce, one of the two, I'm going to go with Pierce, was chosen to give his graveside eulogy. Pierce, not sure what to say, asked the IRB how far he should go. Um, And Tom Clark, one of the leading members of the IRB, said, Make it hot as hell. So. Make it hot as hell? Like spit hot fire. Okay. 
waiting for Ross's body to be put in the ground, and Pierce began to do just that, saying, quote, We only know one definition of freedom in Ireland. It's Tone's definition. It's Mitchell's definition. It's Ross's definition. His speech made it very clear that there would not only soon be, uh, there would not only be an armed struggle for Ireland, but it would be soon. He closed with this, quote, They think they have pacified Ireland. They think that they have purchased half of us and intimidated the other half. They think they have foreseen everything. They think they have provided against everything, but they're fools. They're fools. They're fucking fools. They have left us our Finian dead. While Ireland holds these graves, Ireland unfree shall never be at peace. Fuck yeah, dude. The speech turned many people to the side of the IRB. And so for people, I've not brought this up before. Finian, kind of another word for Irish Republican Brotherhood. Mm. Not going to go into it. Okay. Think of the two as connected. And a rising for Easter began to be planned. Slowly but surely, they began to win over the IVF commanders to their side. But uh, they also decided not to tell their commanders about the plans. Uh, they didn't really, they weren't sure who they could Look trust. Look of confusion. Oh, okay. Uh, they wanted an Easter rising, but at the same time, they knew a lot of people, they may have been whipped up by, De Ross's, uh, by Ross's graveside eulogy, um, but they, used, they weren't ready to start pulling triggers on people. Did he write that speech? Yes. Okay, I thought he just did it right there. Like He was just like... In the moment. No, nah, he spit hot fire, man. That's, that was pretty good. There's five greatest rappers in Ireland. Pierce, 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 and Pierce, because he spits hot fire. Nice. <laughs> I, got, I got a little chub going. It's nice. Yeah. yeah. And that saying- You want to see it? And, no, I don't. I'm showing you. I, to put it away. Put it away. Look at it. Uh, <laughs> that, that saying, and Ireland unfree shall never be at peace, continues to be a centerpiece on Republican dissident like murals in Northern Ireland to this fucking day. Um, to this day. One of the people that the IRB decided not to tell about the rising was their chief of staff, McNeil. So when it, and eventually McNeil found out about the rising. Um, he said he's going to, he's going to cancel it. And he sent out orders saying as much. He's going to cancel it. So, I mean, he's technically the chief of staff. Um, now, the IRB to plan this, they didn't just put an ad out in the newspaper like, "Hey, bro, coup tomorrow, show up at noon." Yeah. Like they, they, they put it out as like a parade or a gathering or a demonstration. Like we're all just gonna get together, which is not uncommon. Parades are the shit. Yeah. Um. So he put out that it was gonna be canceled, saying, "Quote: There will be no waste of life for which I am directly responsible." And that was when McNeil found out he wasn't really in charge of anything anymore. <laughs> so, fun fact. Parades were the only time I was able to get donuts as a kid. So, uh... I'm gonna need more info on that. Why? I don't know. Was it like a... Your family had a parade-centric food? I I don't know, actually. It's really weird. Now I get donuts probably like once a weekend in the morning. I'm not a big fan of donuts. Honestly, it's probably why I like it so much. Maybe. Because maple donuts are the shit. I fucking Dude, love maple donuts. Maple bars. Oh, man. Oh. So good. I don't get people's addiction to like crack and heroin and everything, but I get the maple bars. Like, They're I, so it, fucking that, good. That makes me understand substance abuse every time I buy into a maple <laughs> bar. <laughs> God. Oh, I see it. Fuck. I'm going to put this bitch in a spoon and inject it in my fucking neck. <laughs> yeah, just a chunk of fucking pastry <laughs> in your neck. Oh, man. But yeah, considering my dad was a cop back in the day, 
Yeah. yeah. I never got donuts. Maybe that's why. Maybe that was exactly yeah, maybe why. Maybe that's why. Okay. Continue. Yeah. So that's when McNeil found out he was no longer in charge of the IVF. The IRB pointed out that fuck him, we're in charge, not you. And besides, it was too late to back down. We're in too deep, man. <laughs> so ju- what did he do? He so he, uh, McNeil sent out yeah. a letter saying, "Hey, fuck you. Nobody get together on Easter." Um, <laughs> now, at the same time, the German Imperial Navy had dispatched this ship. Now it was under the cover of like a Norwegian ship called like the Ard. <laughs> but everybody knew it was the fucking Imperial Navy. <laughs> everybody knew it. Too. Yeah, like they did not. Like British intelligence was on it. Like since day one, they're not good at these things. Uh, tens of yeah, thousands we're Norwegian. of rifles on board. Yeah, we're Norwegian, but we just really like the Kaiser. Uh, there's <laughs> tens of thousands of, of rifles. The Kaiser and German flags and, up everywhere. And millions of rounds of ammo. They knew uh, once it hit shore, the British would not only know about it, but it would make like it's like the Rube Goldberg project where the like the marble falls down and starts a whole chain reaction. The British know that you're just stockpiling weapons. Like there's something's gonna happen. I'm so glad I heard you right because for some reason in my head I heard RuPaul project. And I was thinking of that would make the, this whole thing way more interesting. Like everybody, like instead, I of, imagine, really like that show. Imagine if every war was decided by like a drag queen show. Sashay away. Yeah, do a spin move. Oh, and we surrender. Okay, okay. War in Afghanistan's over. <laughs> <laughs> now Sashay away. Yeah. Um, McNeil sighed when he was told about this whole plan. He's like, this is when he finally found out about the weapons. Like, dude, you can't fucking back out. The goddamn Kaiser sending over tens of thousands of rifles. We're in too deep, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're already committed, man. So, uh... and that's when McNeil said, "Quote: If I have to fight or be oppressed, I suppose I'm going to fight." <laughs> Which is like the participation trophy for guerrilla war. <laughs> I suppose. And then Tom Kelly, an alderman and member of Sinn Fein, uh, which is like a political party off to the side here. Also, very well connected to the IRB and the Finian movement. Just know that they're on the same side. It's all that's important to you. Okay. Gave the IRB a memo that he said leaked from Dublin Castle, which was the headquarters of the British administration of Ireland. Uh, the memo said the British army was about to arrest the leading members of the IRB and seize all the IVF's weapons. Uh-oh. The memo terrified everybody, and soon even the most moderate members of the command structure went over to the side of the uprising. The memo, now known as the Castle Document, was a total fake. Ah, they didn't look at the font. The font was wrong. No, the, the memo was a fake. The British did have orders to do something like this if conscription was put into place, which it had not been. Um, but somebody got the template for that memo. Holy fuck. <laughs> and just spread it everywhere. I'm like, look what the British are going to do. <laughs> and then they the, got the, now the iron. The That's what IRB I ask every fucking week. Have you got the template for this shit? <laughs> now the IRB military council knew this was fake and was like, got an idea. And so they spread it to everybody to just scare rolled them. with it. Yep. <laughs> That's, That's but, pretty good. And quickly their plan fell to shit. Because the German ship carrying all their weapons had been tracked by British intelligence Norwegian since ship? day one. Yeah, the Norwegian German ship. That ah, was, fucking was, tricked me. Yeah. God damn it. Got you good fucker. Now, to make matters worse, the IRB had not actually gotten the time right for the drop-off, 
So when the German ship showed up, there was nobody there to fucking pick it up. <laughs> They're just sitting there at the port like... And then the Royal Navy showed up. <laughs> oh, fuck. So the German commander just sunk the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> just in the port like... What yep. if he stayed with the ship like My fucking George Clooney? go on! I picture him like uh, the perfect storm, like George Clooney just chilling in the ship. Yeah. God damn it. Just in the port, but it doesn't sink all the way. Just like <laughs> two sticks, feet. Yeah, it sticks out like, fuck. Now with the weapons gone, McNeil went back to his old stance of not wanting to fight. And once again, he sent out an order to all volunteers, printing in the newspaper, sending out runners, and they else, canceling a volunteer muster that had been planned for the Easter. This guy just thinks he has canceling abilities. Yeah, I don't feel like he's picked up on the fact he's not actually in charge anymore. Like he's just basically kind of like, no. It gets one worse than that. British intelligence did more than just track the arms shipment. They actually knew everything. Due to the fact that the Germans were talking to their ambassador in the U.S., which had been acting as a good between for Germany and the IRB, and the British actually had American and German communications completely tapped, even though Americans were not involved in the war yet, they knew about the planned uprising on Easter, the arms shipment, and everything else. Holy fuck. Tapped? Oh, yeah. Now, it's 007 shit this right inti- there. when this intelligence and information was sent to the Undersecretary of Ireland, Sir Matthew Nathan, it was given to him without telling him what the sources were because it's generally bad practice to go around telling everybody uh, that you've been listening on your enemy's radio traffic or your allies' radio traffic or anything. Just like, hey, look, we got this. Don't ask questions. Because of that, Nathan didn't really trust the info. Nathan still proposed, however, Arresting the leadership of the IRB, um, raiding headquarters of the Citizens Army. Fuck, this is not looking good. Um, But he's undersecretary. He couldn't act without the approval of the secretary, Augustine Burrell, who was away on vacation to London. So he wired away for approval. Uh. That approval would not come before Easter. It would actually come two hours after the uprising began. (laughs) Whoops. Meanwhile, the IRB sent out conflicting orders to volunteers to muster on Easter once again, going against McNeil. Conflicting? Yeah. So McNeil was sending out... The canceling, like he's like, Stay at home. And the IRB, who is now in control of the IVF, was saying, everybody fucking show up. Hide Easter eggs with your family. Yes. The Easter eggs are against the door. The chair is the Easter eggs. Show up with your rifle. Shoot British people. (laughs) I don't know what to do. (laughs) Our cipher sucks. Um, the muster, of course, was the start of an uprising. Unfortunately, on the morning of April 24th, significantly less people showed up because they were following McNeil orders to stay at home. Duh, fucking horseshit. But still, around 1,200 people showed up around Dublin. Once still a good amount. Once they gathered, they fanned out across city, capturing key points throughout. They set up barricades throughout the street and began to fortify their positions. They cut off transportation routes, communication wires, wherever they could. Fucking police are still fighting at their station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they come out, too. Fighting each Some other. units of volunteers began digging trenches through the streets while Holy waiting fuck. for the British to get their st- shit together. Now, the main thrust of the rising was toward the general post office, led by Connolly and his Irish Citizens Army. With Connolly and four oh, other members guy. of the middle military council, including Patrick Pierce, uh, they took over the post office. Pierce took to the steps of the post office and proclaimed the birth of the Irish Republic and rose the Irish tricolor oh, above the building. Okay. Now... The Irish Republican um, uh, proclamation of, of of their country, incredibly progressive for the time. 
universal suffrage, um, complete equal rights for everybody, Catholic or Protestant, um, everything like that. Who doesn't like that? Uh, turns out the British. Assholes. <laughs> One, can I also point out, who's playing Connolly in the movie? Ooh, that's a good question. Now, he doesn't look as heroic as you think. He kind of a bit on the overweight side of the full mustache. Okay, but I didn't know that, so Ryan Gosling. Ryan Reynolds. We go with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds. I feel like you're, that's Fuck, a biased he needs, opinion. He needs an Irish that's accent. Biased. That's he really need, biased. He needs an Irish accent. I know who you're going with. I feel like I know who you're, you would go with. I don't remember his name. I think I know who you're going with, too. Who? Uh, black hair. Fucking. You're naming every Irishman. That's not true. <laughs> I think he was in the movie SWAT. No? I don't know. All this, all this needs to be cut out. This is terrible. It can stay in. <laughs> um, there God, needs to be a movie either way. God damn it. He was in the fucking Harry Potter movie. He was. He's, he's literally the only Irish actor I can think Fuck. of off the top of my head. Is it Colin? Colin Farrell! Yes! <laughs> yes! High five. Yeah. We'll do it later. This table is kind of long. That's what she said. Uh, the British commander of Ireland was actually on leave in England, and the guy he left in charge was gone, and nobody could find him. Uh, eventually, <laughs> an officer was located, uh, Colonel Cowan, who had no fucking idea what was going on. He was getting like confused, conflicting reports of random armed Irish people like <laughs> storming the post office and another group seizing a biscuit factory. <laughs> so, somebody's not getting their mail. Somebody's not getting good biscuits. Like, I don't see the problem so, with this. Before you came over to my house to record today, I told you to pick up a certain brand of whiskey, right? Yes. What, what brand was that? I didn't have to pick any up because I had some at the house. Okay. I don't know what that says about me, but I guess it's Jameson. I hope. Jameson. So, which brings us to a main fighting position that the volunteers picked out. The Jameson Distillery in Dublin. Ooh. <laughs> so this one is triple distilled. So I imagine they had triple the defense. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. Yes, the uh, the Jameson Distillery in Dublin was a fighting position that is during the fucking Israel. awesome. <laughs> Holy shit. So, Colonel Cowan sent out soldiers to see just what the fuck was going on. Soldiers from the 6th Reserve Cavalry Regiment mounted on a horseback, walked down to the post office to see what was going on, and then probably got shot at by volunteers, killing three of them. <laughs> What's going on over here? What's all this then? <laughs> oh, oh, God, they're shooting us. <laughs> the fucking cops are just punching each other in the background. <laughs> so not expecting to get shot at, the soldiers quickly retreated back to their barracks. This episode is hilariously known as the Charge of the Lancers. That's what the Irish because they charged in the wrong direction because they retreated. Yeah, that's the joke, Nick. God damn it! Oh, that's Mean- awesome. Meanwhile, the volunteers assaulted Dublin Castle and then shot a policeman who was standing guard outside. What? <laughs> yeah. Just ran. He wasn't standing guard. He was fighting himself. <laughs> uh, and then they began exchanging gunfire with a few people inside. A they- few people. Now they did not, however, press the attack. The volunteers did not know that inside the castle was only a couple soldiers and Sir Nathan and Colonel Cowan himself who were also shooting at them. I'd be fucking pissed off to have the detail. There's only a few of you here. There's literally only like a dozen. Yeah. And like the the whole like the second in command of all of Ireland is shooting at you with a pistol out the window. (laughs) 
<laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Soldiers from the Royal Irish Regiment were ordered to march on Dublin Castle. Apparently, nobody told them that people were actively shooting at one another because when they showed up at the castle, their weapons were slung over their backs and their rifles were unloaded. So when they stumbled upon an, out, an outpost manned by volunteers, they were, they were quickly shown how dumb that was by being shot at a point blank rage and their commanding officer was shot directly in the face. Holy fuck. Eventually, the royals were able to get their shit together, bring a machine gun into the fight, and then drive the volunteers from their outpost. More um, people are getting shot in this episode than the last one. It tends to happen. Yeah. Uh, the Dublin police, who were unarmed, mind you, were ordered from the street after three of them were killed on the first day as they tried to investigate what the fuck was going on. They were just investigating. Yeah, they're like, people are getting shot. What's all this then? <laughs> now, with all the shooting and no cops, uh, a wave of looting broke out across the city. The cops are still fighting each other. <laughs> Just hiding. The next day, martial law was declared by Brigadier General William Lowe. Ooh, we. Uh, he was put in charge. Uh, I hope of putting, that makes it over there. Of putting this this whole, this whole thing under control. Um, unfortunately for the volunteers, they failed to capture any of Dublin's main railways or ports, making it incredibly easy for thousands of British reinforcements to be rushed into the city. They not only came with machine guns, but artillery. What? Remember, this isn't just any old British field artillery. These are artillery units fresh from the Western Front. Yeah, dude. All they know is fisting. Yeah. All, like, all their problems are solved by the correct application of just massive waves of artillery. And then a British patrol ship uh, known as the Helga sailed up the Liffey River, which like cuts straight through Dublin, like right up the middle. And then began shelling everything in sight. This is overkill. <clears throat> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> so if I was if I didn't know and I wasn't really thinking about it, I'd totally think of this as a because uh, we bring up castles and obviously there's castles around. I would think of this as like some night shit or maybe even some flintlock type shit. But no, this is right after during World War One, this is with it. Now, this isn't just like during World War One. This is like the same year the Battle of the Somme yeah. happened. Oh fuck! <laughs> so you, oh my god, you could imagine just the firepower that they had. Yeah. Oh my, it's so bad. Now it should be said that the Irish did not think they would actually fight the British. Um, it's pretty much all the firsthand accounts that I have found. Like when the Helga sailed up the Liffey River and started shelling everything in sight. Um, like the revolutionaries were completely speechless that they would like shell the fucking city. Like they might, they thought they might like fight the cops. They might fight right. a couple garrison soldiers, but like they didn't think they'd get fucking shelled. Cause like Dublin was considered the second city of the UK. As soon as artillery goes off, right. I would definitely have second thoughts, but I still probably, but you know, that's where uh, these guys are way more manly than we are. Yeah. And not just manly, because good portion of them are women. Yeah. Um, the main volunteer positions at the post office, the four courts, and the biscuit factory um, were surrounded. And instead of moving soldiers in, the British did what British soldiers do in 1916. and began pounding the fuck out of them with artillery. Mm. One volunteer at the post office said we did practically no shooting because there was no targets. 
Fuck. <laughs> They're sitting there getting shelled. Oh, my God. Soon, the outlaying volunteer positions would be snuffed out one by one. Uh, at St. Stephen's Green, volunteers are chased out of the positions of British soldiers mounted machine guns at an overlooking hotel and then just rained fire down on them. Um, at City Hall, volunteers had been under sustained bombardment and machine guns uh, since the first night of the of the rising. Eventually, they began to hear British soldiers that got so close scream out, Surrender in the name of the king! And then they answered them by shooting them in the face as they Holy came through the fuck. windows. Eventually, they, uh, the volunteers inside ran out of ammo. Um, and the soldiers fought their way inside, and they were shocked to see that the building was full of women volunteers who'd been holding them off for hours. Wow. At first, they thought the women were I wonder being, how they felt. I hope bad. Yeah. Because then they were like, not, not because women don't make good soldiers, right. but, but because like uh, when they came in, they thought, they're like, oh, you must be being held captive by the rebels. He's like, they're like, no, we are the rebels, you fucking assholes. That's fucking awesome. Meanwhile, a guy named Sean Houston and about 20 volunteers were held up inside Kingsbridge Station, um, holding off 400 soldiers with little more than rifles and some handmade bombs. They they weren't really hand grenades. They just made them. Um, They fought the soldiers for hours and incredibly close range, sometimes as close as 20 feet. Holy shit. They were so close that the British kept tossing grenades in and the Irish picked them up and chucked them back. And they were like exchanging insults Fuck. the whole time. <laughs> Eventually, they ran That's out of awesome. ammunition and they were forced to surrender. And Houston's position would be the first of the Irish positions to just surrender. Mm. And the third day of the rising, four full battalions of the Sherwood Foresters uh, were marching to the city. Um, these had just been conscripted to fight in World War I and had been in uniform for as little as eight weeks. Uh, there's actually some people who literally thought they were in France. Really? Yeah. Uh, some of the soldiers thought they were in, walking into France. Because all they know they, they, okay. yeah. they is they got on a boat, they got off a boat, and people were shooting at them. Like, Must be in World War One. Yeah. <laughs> now, main problem with that is training at the time did not actually consist of marksmanship. So they, most of them had never fired the rifles. I think we talked about this in... What episode? Hague? Yeah, with the New Army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is the era of the New Army. Okay, where um, they had basically fucking broomsticks. Kind of, yeah. Um, for training. They had been trained on how to assault trenches and stuff like that. Pretty much it. Like, they weren't trained in flanking maneuvers. Like, just pretty much bayonet charges at trenches. Um, Solid. Now, there is parts of Ireland, like, for instance, the uh, the Irish Rising not super popular among Ireland in general. So like when they hit, when they hit the shore and were walking, people are like waving, giving them cigarettes, giving them high fives, whatever. And then they just like start getting shot at out of nowhere. Um, so they, their main point that they were supposed to take was across the Mount street bridge. And they got about 300 meters from that point. And that's when volunteers opened fire on them. Soldiers immediately got pinned down. And because uh, they were mobilized so quickly, had no support weapons with them. They had no machine guns. They, they didn't even have hand grenades. Um, instead of pulling back off the bridge or attempting to move around and flank the, the, uh, the volunteers, there's only about 15 to 20 volunteers shooting at them. Yeah. Remember, four battalions of soldiers. Um, so instead of doing anything, the, uh, the officers unsheathed their swords 
stood oh up God. and ordered a bayonet charge across the bridge. Even though they're facing, like I said, 20 at most volunteers. The forcers lost 250 men on the bridge. So, and the volunteers only abandoned their position because another volunteer position nearby refused to reinforce them and they run out of ammo. Um, they lost only four people. Fuck. The British took nine hours to advance 300 yards. Oh, God. <laughs> As British soldiers got closer and closer to the four courts area, they ran to more and more volunteer positions. Uh, the British soldiers, many of whom had just been fighting in mainland Europe, in the trenches across no man's God, land. God, that blows. Uh, they were totally unprepared for house-to-house fighting with Irish guerrillas. The British continuously attempted bayonet charges through city streets, only to be shot down by volunteers hidden in windows, rooftops, and behind chimneys. Um, the British... Now, if you listen to the show uh, long enough, um, or you know enough about you know, history of conflict, guerrilla war, irregular war, against a uniformed force eventually tends to drive the uniform force nuts. Like they, they start to get enraged. They forget what they were trained. They forget like morals and ethics. British start doing that too. They start executing people. Um, one Irish uh, pacifist came up and said, Hey, like I'm in this house. I got people with me. We're not fighting you. Just please leave us alone. Execute on the spot. And uh, the, uh, strangely enough, the the British guy who ordered the execution of the Irish pacifist found insane in court. Yeah, really. Whoops. Yeah, turns out the British just had a crazy guy. Who would have thought? Um, and also, the British began slapping makeshift armored trucks together in order to protect them from the withering rifle fire, pulling some like Mad Max shit out of their ass yeah. to creep their way down the streets. Now, remember, these are trucks from 1916, bogged down with bits of metal and wood, just bolted onto the side. Just going at a crawling pace. R- rolling down the street at the speed of like a creeping fart. <laughs> <laughs> so, at this point, did any recruitment for the irish go up um so during the rising a lot of the people that stayed home showed up to fight like when that listened to mcneil's order to stay at home like oh fuck there's a revolution outside gotta go join it yeah that's that's pretty much it um also there's parts of this um parts of the the rising leadership realize if we want to be seen and, and and more importantly internationally recognized as an independent nation during this era, we need to prove that um, we are Irish fighting for Ireland. Like, um, there's a picture in the book uh, that I was sent that has like all these uh, Irish volunteers holding rifles under a giant sign that says, um, We don't fight for the Kaiser and shit like that. Didn't really do a lot of good. Yeah, pointed but, out, you know, it's good. Yeah. It, you put it out there. Yeah. So, even after building these armored vehicles and shit, um, advancing down the road for the for the British was pretty much a death trap. And that wasn't just for the British, it's for virtually anybody. The streets kind of just turned into no man's land. Yeah. Now, this this whole city going crazy with looting at the same time. So, like, men, women, and children just getting gunned down in cold blood in the streets if they run out from the wrong position. Both sides are guilty of that part. Um and the British decided to try to get through going instead of going across the street, they just blow a hole 
and an adjoining building and then just crawl through it so they didn't have to advance on the street. Smart. Um, they, Like I said, uh, this whole thing started just wearing on the British. They couldn't advance more than 20 feet at a time. So they started taking it on the Irish. Um, at one point, soldiers from the South Staffordshire Regiment kicked down a door and then bayoneted 15 people they found inside. Nobody inside was armed. Um, That's fucked. Un- unfortunately, uh, for the volunteers' headquarters, the constant British shelling had set one hell of a fire inside the city that eventually spread to the post office. Uh, they had to blow a hole in one of the walls and escape to set up headquarters in 16th Moore Street, where they planned to break out uh, into the Irish countryside. Remember, this, this is all just happening in Dublin. This isn't like Ireland-wide. Right. Um, but then finally, Pierce accepted that everything was lost. Pierce issued an order to all volunteers to surrender, stating, quote, in order to prevent further slaughter of Dublin citizens and in hope of saving the lives of our followers now surrounded and hopelessly outnumbered, the members of the provisional government presented at headquarters have agreed an unconditional surrender and the commandments of the various districts of the city and county will order their commands to lie down arms. In all, about 500 people have been killed in a week of fighting. More than 2,600 have been wounded, mostly civilians, from the British shelling. All of the 16 cops and 22 of the British soldiers that were killed in the fighting were Irishmen themselves. Um, While the fighting was over, the killing was not. The British government arrested 4,000 people in response to the Easter Rising. 90 people would end up being sentenced to hang or being shot including all seven of the men who signed the Proclamation of the Republic. And that's when our boy, Conley, the commander of the Irish Citizens Army, oh, fuck our, yeah. our favorite guy in the entire story, who had been badly wounded uh, while fighting at the post office. Not fuck he took, yeah. He took like a bullet to the ankle, which like bounced awkwardly up into his leg and fucked him up really Oh, bad. fuck. And he was on the verge of death uh, when his sentence came down. Uh, a doctor actually told the court that the man only had a day or two left to live. And he was almost dead to the world. He couldn't walk. He couldn't sit up. Shit like that. Right. Sentenced to death anyway. He couldn't stand for the firing squad. So he was carried out to the execution ground, tied to a chair, and then shot. Mm. The Maxis executions of the leaders of the Rising led to a public outcry in Ireland, even though most of the Irish population did not support them during the Rising itself. Since they couldn't kill everyone they wanted to, the British simply tossed the rest in the concentration camps. Uh, the concentration camp was actually in Wales. Really? Yeah. Um, these camps would end up spawning in the next generation of Irish revolutionaries, earning the camp itself the University of Revolution. After crushing the Easter Rising... Like X-Men. Yeah, but no. <laughs> Extraordinary Irishmen. The League of Extraordinary Irishmen. Um, the British thought that Ireland had learned its lesson and it would no longer be a problem for them. And then they did introduce conscription into Ireland. This led Sinn Féin riding a wave of public support into office, Declaration of Independence, and finally the Irish War of Independence and later Irish Civil War. Then the Irish Free State and the Republic of Ireland now Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, and the Troubles. So a lot of modern Ireland 
and a lot of modern Irish problems can be led back to the British fucking themselves over and fucking the Irish over at the beginning of World War I. And that is the Easter Rising. Bow, 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 bow. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm really happy uh, we covered this. Honestly, One, I enjoyed it. I, I personally really love Irish history. Um, I think it is one of the more protracted people's struggles against an imperial ruler that still exists uh, in the Western world. And it is oddly troubling how comfortable everybody seems to be with it. Um, now, I guess I, should, I guess I should go on record that no, I do not support Republican or unionist terrorism in Northern Ireland. But when you look at, uh, you know, like I did, like I'm, I'm not Irish. I have no Irish blood in my system. I'm more than certain that you're in the same boat as I do. Um, I have, I've never been to Ireland. I don't, you know, I, I only know Irish people through the I'd internet. I'd love to go. Um, from the outsiders looking in and, you know, when you, especially like myself, I've, I have a European history degree, but, um, Irish history is very heavily glossed over. Um, but when you look at it and you realize like, holy shit, like they just, uh, the, the Irish people are just some of the most victimized people in all of Western world. Yes. Um, when it, when it comes to like the non-native people uh, of like Northern America. But like, and it, like it continues to this day. I mean, there's still a partition in Ireland. There's still people getting fucked up over British decisions in Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Um, it, it led through the troubles and it led through death squads and terrorist bombings and all sorts of other horrible shit. And like, it's it's always really interesting to me to be able to find something that like we kind of technically live through. Um, like it's our age. Like this happened while we were alive, and we can kind of go back and in history and see like, Oh, this is how that started. Yeah. I'm not saying the, like the acrimony between the British and the Irish began on the rising, but like you can definitely chart, like you can really begin to connect the fucking dots when concentration camps start popping up. And like, um, it's really interesting. Like when Irish veterans returned from world war one, um, and they happened to be from the wrong neck of town and they were Catholic or they maybe had some kind of connection to a volunteer unit. Um, they got thrown in concentration camps too. Um, so like it's something that I don't know. I, I really felt I, like, I really fell in love with Irish history during the research for this. And that's, yeah. that's why like, I absolutely want to do a series on the troubles, but I feel like it's almost impossible to do. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I want to say the first time I ever heard of like the IRA or any type of Irish history. Yeah. Again, I'm going to take it back to uh, the shirt that I guess I'm wearing. Yeah. Where it says Captain Cosplay. Yeah. That's where it goes back to. Did you have IRA cosplayers? Yes. That's a thing? It is definitely a thing. You know, I should, you know, I have known you for years and we've been doing the show for almost a year and these things shouldn't surprise me anymore. They shouldn't, but they do. But I'm sitting here surprised. And uh, I ended up talking to one of the dudes because I was really confused. I was like, so basically, long story short, uh, they, uh, this guy was basically naming off like all the history things because we had this little event called Marching Through History. Uh-huh. And I was on the World War II side of the history thing. But they, all, they had all the way back to uh, 
they had fucking legionnaires there and all this other shit. But then the IRA came up. <laughs> and I was like, interesting. Record scratch. I bet yeah. you're wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> There's dudes with bolt actions all the way on the end over here and shitty <laughs> looking and, shit. And then shit going all the way up to like how I, like people dressed not too long ago. Like and some dude like, in jeans carrying what, an Armalite saying fuck the British. What's going on here? <laughs> so I asked him about it. He's like, Oh, yeah, most of the guys here, we're all like, you know, have Irish in our blood. And so we're here to represent the IRA in history. I was like, okay, I want to look into this. You know, it's one of those things that's really hard to say because, like, I will, I'll say up and down, I completely support uh, Irish Union uh, and independent Ireland. Um, I feel like the partition is illegal, but I'm not going to go, go as far as they support the fucking, the, the provisional Irish. So, that's the thing. The, the Irish Republican Army was a faction that fought during the Irish Independ- War of Independence, the Irish Civil War. Very different than the Irish Republican Army, who's blown up cafes in the 80s. Yes. Um, huge difference. Um, so that's our series uh, for Easter. Thank you for tuning in. And because we did it last episode, uh, we have to point out that if, yes. if you support our show, we'll obviously we'll always love your donations. Thank you for so much for keeping this show afloat and um, and helping us uh, get research materials and stuff like that. But if you're going to support us this week, if you're going to um, if you're if you're going to donate to Patreon, um, so I didn't say this the last episode, but you know our Patreon is split into three ways. But our our contribution to our patreon we just keep we pay our soundcloud bills we pay our producer we pay for books and the new mics and everything else um but for this month we're going to donate everything minus our 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 bills to this charity which is called the uh the dogs for the disabled dot ie um they train service dogs for children uh with medical conditions that require service dogs um they they get no money from the Irish government. Um, all their money goes in taking care of these dogs, and it's awesome. Obviously, we're dog people. We have podcast yes. dogs. Um, also, I understand how important these are for kids with you know seizures and diabetic issues and you know, whatever other disability that you need a dog for. It doesn't matter. Um, to do a, a great service, and if you're going to support us. Support them instead. Uh, they deserve your money way more than we do. Um, a good friend of ours who's sent us shit for weeks now, months now, probably close to a fucking year now. Um, he's doing a hike across Iceland to raise money. Uh, you can follow all his journeys at hashtag walk for the dogs. Four is with the number four. Um, we're wearing shirts right now. We're we you know we're we're giving money to him. We we highly highly suggest you do the same. Captain Cosplay approves. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, because Lieutenant Cosplay, not nearly as cool. Captain, though. Yeah, at least you got promoted. That's nice. That's two C's. <laughs> Sergeant Cosplay just sounds lame. Ugh. Uh, so thank you for tuning in for our bonus uh, Easter special because it's a two-parter. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, lines underscore by. You know where to find us. Um. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and we'll see you next time. Fuck yeah, later.